You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Rocky, if you want to come on up. Um, Rocky Nichols is one of our friends, and uh, he's actually a pastor in training. Uh, he's being men- mentored by Pastor Ben and the rest of the team, and he's shared a few times with us before, and today, Pastor had asked him to come and, and finish up this series, and today, Rocky's going to talk about joy. So uh, thank you, Rocky, for being here. Thank you, Matt, and thank you, everyone, for being here today. <clears throat> I don't usually talk very much, so going through one service, my my voice gets a little gravelly, so hopefully that'll pick up. I do want to point out, though, as I did in the first service, that these two, Joe and Hope, want to thank you for them, because they came here, spur of the moment, they have to use uh, musical devices that they're not accustomed to, a sound system that's much different than they're used to, and songs that are different than they're used to, and I thank you two of you, for stepping out and filling in for us today. Now, every time I do this, I come up here to speak, which isn't very often, but every time I do, I always wonder, well, how am I going to lead into the message rather than just jumping into it? Well, God handed this one to me today. As I spoke in the morning, sir, the first service, Pastor Ben opened up this series, Hope, Peace, Love, and Joy. But he opened up with hope. And he said that day, hope is here. And I believe now that he was speaking prophetically and his prophecy came true because hope actually is here. And again, we are glad to meet you after three weeks. And I won't say, I won't say Joe should change his name to Joy because then I could say Joy is here too. I won't say that, but thank you anyway. Joy is here. Joy is all around us, especially in this season. We can't get away from it, even this secular society. We cannot escape the fact that joy is here. It's on the the buildings and the storefronts. It's in the malls. It's all around our neighborhoods. We see joy in front of houses. My wife even made a little wooden sign that says joy. Her middle name is Joy, although she didn't do that for the season. It's always been that. My daughter-in-law's middle name is Joy. So joy is here. We went to Chicago this past Monday. Pam and I and our two friends, just to witness the joy of that big city. Wasn't much. Spent the whole day walking up the Miracle Mile or whatever that place is called and saw thousands and thousands and thousands of faces. But the only joy I can really say that I saw was on the faces of my wife and my other two companions. And occasionally when I caught my reflection in the store window, it reminded me to smile as well. Because I'm not usually known for my smile, and it's kind of ironic that Pastor Ben allowed me to speak on joy. But I want to emphasize that when I came into this building today, and when I came into this room, I brought joy with me. And I know many of you are saying, because you know my heart, and that my heart is filled with joy. But I want you to know, I literally brought joy into this building. Because as I was sitting at my kitchen table, rewriting this sermon for the fourth time, I looked up and I saw this on the wall. 
So I literally brought joy with me today. Now, if you could, if you could respond and repeat after me, joy is here today. Go ahead. Joy is here today. And if you are a believer, say this, my joy is here to stay. My joy is here to stay. And I pray that each one of us, when you leave here today, can claim that. I'm going to say that we are in the time between the times. Now, I use that term that comes from theology, which is a term that describes the period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's this 400 years of silence where the Old Testament prophets have died out, and then Jesus is born, and John the Baptist comes on the scene and announces him. And the New Testament books cover about a 100-year period of their actual acting out and writing. But in between there, the Bible is silent. Now, I'm using it in a different way. I'm saying that we're in the time between the times, the time between Christmas and New Year's, because I find this awkward silence there as well. We work our way up for months ahead of time to this grand event of Christmas, and then we celebrate Christmas, and it's awesome, and boom, it's done. The next day is business as usual. Quite often we go back to work, we go back to our life, and it's just this weird, abrupt pause. And for most of that week, we work through that pause to another grand event of New Year's. Now, this New Year's is going to be a significant year, 2020. Now, I say it's significant for several reasons. First of all, I believe God works in blocks of time. In our denomination, we don't adhere specifically to dispensationalism, but that's what it's called, dispensations. God works in different ways through different times to work out his plan. I also say it's significant because the Bible gives significance to numbers. And 2020 is a significant number. But we all know that the number seven is a very significant number. The number three is significant. You add those two together, you get a compounded significant number of 10. You multiply 10 by 7, you get a really significant number, and I can go on and on if I could remember all, the, all these numbers. It's called numerology. But I'm not making a prediction here. I'm not going to predict that the end is coming whenever because we're told not to do that. But I am saying that human nature is such that humans like to assign significance when they see things like this. And even if nothing does happen, why not assign significance to our lives pers personally and make this a significant year? Now, how many of you read the paper? The real paper paper. Not too many. There was only three in the first service. <clears throat> this summer, when I walked into the grocery store in Grand Haven, there was a guy there handing out free samples of the Grand Haven Tribune. Now, I know none of you would do this with the... Salvation Army bell ringers, but if my pockets are empty, I kind of make a big swoop around because I don't want to look like a cheapskate and try to avoid the bell ringer. Well, I did the same thing with the newspaper guy. I didn't want to make him feel bad. So I went in the opposite door, but I made the mistake of eye contact. He said, hey, sir, can I interest you in a newspaper? 
and I said, didn't want to make him feel bad, but, you know, I really would like to read the paper, but I just don't have the time. So he holds one up with two fingers. It's about the size of a comic book, maybe 15 pages thick, and he shakes it at me and he says, really? You couldn't read this? So I took the paper. Now that's just an added story, but being this significant year coming up, I thought I better find out what's going on and get a paper. So I got a little bit larger one. It is USA Today. And it covers a bigger span of the country. In the second section, I read this. Now I'm not going to get too much into detail, but I'll just read you the captions. Easy and essential precautions for the new year. Keep some extra blankets ready. Okay. Keep your gas tank at least half full through the first few weeks of the new year. Stockpile a gallon of water a day per person, at least enough for three days. And in a previous article, it said that store shelves are empty of bottled water. Canned goods or other perishable items are a must. A battery-powered radio is essential. And generators are very rare at this point because they're mostly sold out. Back up your computer files. Pull together hard copies of all your financial records, licenses, and documents that you might need. So what's going on? Is it really that significant? And then I read the date, December 1999. Finally, one of these, these uh, significant papers I've kept in a cedar chest, I could actually use it in the sermon. Well, how many of you are 19 years old or younger? Raise your hand. All right, we have, a, we have quite a few this morning. Excellent. You were not here when this happened. It was called Y2K, the year 2000. And what happened was this. Because the computer systems were built, I think, in the 60s, maybe even the 50s, they were all built to have a timestamp signature on them. Every action that a computer made, it timestamped it to the date and the time that this was recorded and saved and filed. It was thought that because all of the things in the world are now pretty much controlled by computers, it was thought that perhaps now, because this computer system was created on the 19 system, 1965, 1995, that once the year changed to 2000, the computer would not be able to discern the date and it would shut down. So it was predicted that there'd be a lot of widespread chaos and you needed to make precautions. Well, I remember that night, New Year's Eve, 1999, Pam and I and my two boys sat in our living room. We got a picture with a big banner behind us, Happy New Year 2000, everybody's smiling. We sat there watching Dick Clark and that stupid ball coming down in New York. Don't know what the significance is and I don't really care, but when it hit the bottom, nothing happened, not even a glitch. Even the lights didn't flicker. And for a moment I thought, well, it would've been kind of cool if it actually would've shut down and we could've experienced the Stone Age for a while. But it was a good thing that it didn't. And my pastor at the time was a wise man who said, all these things that are being predicted, take heart. 
because God will provide for you. And all this is fear-based. So going forward, I've always, I've always reviewed things that happen in my life. Is it fear-based or not? Because God will carry us through. Well, I'm not saying that this is going to be that significant of a year, but I am saying, why don't we make it significant in our lives, in your life, in the life of this church? We have many reasons to be joyous, of course, for the season, because we just celebrated the Savior of mankind coming into this world. And we're about to, we're about to celebrate the changing of the year. Many great things happened this past year, perhaps some things that weren't great, and we want them to end and move forward. And we can move forward with, that with anticipation. Maybe you have some personal things to be joyous about. You got a raise or a year-end bonus or maybe even a new job. Maybe you got a really nice gift for Christmas, one that you don't want to brag about because you'll take the joy away from someone who didn't. Maybe it's your team is going to be in the bowl coming up. You're excited about that. There's a lot of things for us to be joyous about. We have parties that are planned. Perhaps that brings joy to you. Maybe Uncle Floyd and Aunt Millie are going to show up and you love Uncle Floyd and Aunt Millie. Or maybe Uncle Floyd and Aunt Millie have been here for a week and they're finally going to leave and that brings even more joy. And hopefully no one in here is named Floyd or Millie, because I'm in trouble. But all these things are temporary. And one thing comes to mind, one verse comes to mind that I heard when my Uncle Steve passed away and at his funeral. It's Psalm 103, and I will just paraphrase it. The years of a man's life, or the days of a man's life, are like the grass in the field. It grows and it flowers and flourishes for a time. And then the wind comes and carries it away. And even the place that it once grew remembers it no more. And eventually more grass comes and fills in. And that cycle repeats itself over and over. And we shouldn't forget now in this season of joy, grief. Because in the news, I heard that on Christmas Day, a five-year-old boy fell through the ice and perished. I heard that a hurricane hit the Philippines, and they're still going through the rubble finding people who have passed away. And of course, at this time of the season, I know this is difficult for some, but this is the time of year that many people decide to end their life. Joy is all around, but we live in a fallen world. Grief is around, too. There's a story that comes to mind of temporary joy. It happened in 1914. It was World War I, the Great War, they called it. It was a trench war. And if you can imagine this field that stretched for hundreds of miles, and on one side, the German army was dug in eight to ten feet deep in this zigzag trench that went beyond the, for what the eye could see. They had all their armaments. They had their offices. 
They had their bunks, they slept, they lived in these trenches for months in this rainy mud pit. Across the field was the British Army. Same thing, they were dug into the zigzag trench, eight to 10 feet deep, with all their headquarters and their barracks and their ammunitions in there. And in between was this field called no man's land because no man could survive coming through that field. It was filled with tangles of wire and probably death. It was Christmas Eve, 1914, and that night as the sun went down and this deathly silence took over, a single voice called out from the German line as a man began to sing Silent Night. As he ended that song, a voice came from the British side and an English soldier sang the first Noel. And after he finished, others began to sing different Christmas carols back and forth. And then German soldiers began to appear in no man's land. And they approached the middle of this barbed wire and they called out, Merry Christmas, Englishmen. And hesitantly, the British soldiers, a few at a time, would come out and meet these German soldiers in the middle of this desolate place. They shook hands. They began to share stories of their homeland and their families and photos of their families and the hopes for the future. And for a time, they had this wonderful joy in the midst of this chaos. And then the generals found out. And they said, stop it. This is war. Put an end to this friendliness. Get back in the trenches. This is war. And one of the men, decades later, recounted his experience with a German soldier. He said that German soldier, before he walked away, said, Tomorrow morning, you will again fight for your country. And tomorrow morning, I will again fight for mine. And they shook hands and parted ways. The following morning, that German soldier climbed a telephone pole and he tacked up a flag that said, Merry Christmas, because it was Christmas Day. Likewise, his counterpart from the British Army climbed up another pole and he tacked a makeshift post uh, sign that said, Merry Christmas. Then the German man took out his rifle and he shot two shots over the head of the Englishman. And the Englishman pulled out his rifle and shot two shots over the head of the German. And the war began again. It's an amazing story of temporary joy in a time of turmoil. And you too may find yourself in a time of turmoil with this temporary joy that doesn't last. But there is a joy that lasts forever. And how do we find that joy? As you can imagine, our Bible tells us. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. A little background on the book of Hebrews. The New Testament is made up of the Gospels and letters to churches and also letters in general. 
Many of the letters were written by the apostles to specific house churches addressing issues that they needed to take care of. And then they were passed around from church to church and church, and we have them in our canon of Scripture. Hebrews is a general letter thought to be a group of sermons. It is written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews. Many Bibles ascribe it to the Apostle Paul, but there's evidence to say that it wasn't Paul, but it was definitely a Hebrew. And at the time, the Jews, which were the Hebrews, they were being converted out of the synagogues and meeting in these house churches. Then the Romans were persecuting them because they would leave them alone if they were in the synagogues. So they began to go back into the synagogues and deny the faith. And this writer is saying, do not deny the faith because Jesus is the way. He is superior to everything else. Hebrews has many beautiful, eloquently written verses, and I have just a few of them I'd like to share with you to kind of get our minds into this book. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 9-7, it is appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. 11-1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things yet unseen. 11-6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 13-5, never will I leave you, Never will I forsake you, says the Lord. 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race set out before us. And that leads us to our verse for today. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. And this is key. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of God. In this single verse, there are six key elements that I think we need to review. First of all, the source of true joy and the credibility of that source. There's a method of joy, there's a cost of joy, appreciation of joy, and a result of joy. When we look at the source of joy, I don't think we have to convince anybody, but the source of true joy is Christ Jesus, the creator of this world, the creator of our lives. He is the source of every good thing. And we turn our focus on him, as it says, looking unto Jesus. We focus on him. But it's a peripheral vision. We don't look through a telescope. We look at him and we can still see the things around us. We don't have to deny all these things around us because some of these things God has given us as a blessing and it's okay and acceptable 
to partake in those things. But even those blessed things should not be our focus. He should be our focus. Now, on the contrary, there are some things that in the world that we should turn away from and not partake in because we are in this world but not of this world. So we focus on him, but we still participate and see those things around us. What's the credibility of this source? The verse says he's the author and finisher of our faith. Some versions say perfecter of our faith. So he's the creator of all things. Romans 11, it says, For him and through him and to him are all things. He alone paid the price that we owed. Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He's the author of the book. In 2 Timothy, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. In 2 Peter 1, 21, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those prophets also wrote as God led them and carried them along by the Holy Spirit. Now there's a method of joy and a cost of joy that I will cover together because they work together. In the text it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Sometimes it's hard to accept, but Jesus was God came down to earth as a man, and he had to suffer. Jesus knew what that joy was that was set before him, not before him as time-wise, as previous, chronologically, but before him as positionally placed in front of him. That joy was set before him. He knew what it was. He could see it. But even he couldn't get to that joy because there was something in the way. There was a big wooden cross that he had to endure to get to his joy. The creator of the universe, the creator of that cross, and the hill where it stood had to hang on that cross. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He could have stayed up there, but he said, no, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to go down and save those people. The cost of joy for us is to endure that cross as well. There's a cross in our life. There's suffering in our life. And some are not experiencing it right now, but I got news you probably will 
or you probably already have. In one way or another, you have an understanding of suffering, or you will. And I don't want to discount the fact that some are suffering severely, far beyond what I can ever imagine. But I will say the words of Paul, the apostle who suffered beyond what most people can imagine in his ministry, being imprisoned, beaten, left for dead, stoned, and in the end of his life, beheaded. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's what Paul said. I consider that our present sufferings, no matter what it is, don't even compare to what will be revealed in us when we live that everlasting joy that's before us. There's appreciation of joy. It's in the despising of the shame. Jesus despised the shame of that cross. That cross was put there by the effort of Satan, and he thought that he could end it all. If I can just get the Son of God dead on that cross, I win. And Jesus did die. And Satan may have been celebrating for a time. But on that third day when he rose, Satan probably said, uh-oh, that didn't work. That shame was never given any acknowledgement by Jesus. In fact, to even add insult to injury, it wasn't even Satan that put him there because Jesus said, no man takes my life. I give it freely. Jesus himself put himself on that cross so Satan couldn't even take that credit. Ephesians 4.26 says, Do not let the sun go down while angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I'm guilty of this. When I get really down and things are beating me up, I have at times said, yeah, the devil's really having a day with me. But when I do that, or when you do that, it energizes him. Actually, it doesn't energize him because Satan is only one entity. He's not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. And he probably doesn't find me worth wasting his time on. So he's somewhere organizing his evil troops. But there are demonic forces attacking us. And when we say, oh, the devil's having a day with me, that energizes them. In a small way, they think they're winning. Jesus never did that. He was on the cross. Let's not do that ourselves. And I take that as a word for myself. And the result of joy is that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of the God, and he accomplished what was already prophesied in Genesis 3:15, that he would send a savior that would crush the head of the serpent. And he did. And we are part of that victory. There's an analogy that I heard recently because even though we know that 
Christ is victorious, we still go through this life. We still take the hits from the enemy or from the sinful nature. During World War II, Nazi Germany was trying to take over the whole world. They had really ravaged Europe. The Allies, America and its allies, got together, brought a huge force together. And on June 6, 1944, they pulled off what was called the D-Day invasion. Those troops set foot on Normandy Beach and they began to invade and push back Nazi Germany and Hitler. And it's said that when those men set foot on that shore, victory was won. It was just a time to work out all the details because the Germans were not going to give up. They stepped, kept fighting. But all they could do was collateral damage. They could never recover once the Allies set foot on that beach. It's the same way with Jesus on that cross. Jesus hung on that cross. He was taken down, buried in a tomb. And three days he rose. And the devil, Satan, and all his demons knew from that point on they were beaten. Jesus claimed the victory. Now, their days are numbered. And they're going to try to pull off as much collateral damage as they can. But they can never recover. Jesus is victorious. And we are part of that army, that victorious army. So, in a summary, this is how we apply this verse. As we're going through life, and we have these temporary joys, but we know they're only temporary, we put our hope in a joy that will never end. And we do that first by fixing our eyes on Jesus. We see the world around us. We participate with those things that God has blessed us with. We turn away from those that he doesn't want us to partake with. But we fix his, our eyes on him and see those things that are around him because he is the author and finisher of our faith. There is no other. Confucius is dead. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. All the Indian gods, 33 million, I think, are dead, made of stone. The new age worships nature. All nature dies and passes away. But Christ arose. And that is one, just one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other, origin, all other religions. Our Savior arose. We respond like he did, who for the joy that was set before him, we look to that joy that one day we will experience in its fullness. But we endure the cross. We endure this temporary suffering this short life of discomfort, no matter how intense the suffering or anguish may be, and again, I don't, I don't discount that. There is a lot of suffering that some must go through. But I just recall the words of Paul that I consider it not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. And we act this out as Jesus despised the shame of that cross we acted out in worship and praise and thanksgiving. Not just when times are good and things are going our way, but when times are bad. We still praise him, worship him, and thank him. 
And that happens in this room as well. You're having a bad day, a bad Sunday morning, and everybody's exuberant and praising the Lord, and you sit in your seat thinking, I just don't have it in me. It's not really for you to have it in you. Those are the times that are most important for you to praise and thank God. And press on through those. Don't give the enemy any evidence that they are winning, even temporarily. And ever and always acknowledge, as Jesus sat down at the throne of God, that he is there interceding for us continually. Worship team, you may come up. In the first service, I hesitated to share this story, but since I shared it, then I'm going to share it again. I hesitate because it, it seems like it's a special thing that happened to me that I might feel proud about, but no, I share it with you because if this happened to me, it could happen to you. Because as you go through life, maybe this year, something happened that changed all the direction in your life, and you have very little hope of where you're going. But God can make a way. One year ago, I couldn't walk. I was recovering from an injury. In August, the last week of August, I slipped and fell while rappelling down a mountainside in Colorado. <clears throat> Some of you know the story. I severed my Achilles tendon, and I literally hung on the edge, the ledge of a, of a mountain cliff. And it's crazy the things that go through your mind, because what was not going through my mind is if I slip off this cliff, I'll be dead. That did not go through my mind. This is what I thought about. I thought about for 10 years. I've been pursuing something that was all about me. And I had a grand goal in mind. I thought, if things are going my way a few more years, and I got it. And I sat, I hung onto that cliff just with my arms, and I thought, that life is over. Because I know that what just happened to my foot is something that's not going to come back fully. And I finally, I lowered down to the next ledge, and I sat there for about an hour thinking about all this. When we got back to the state or to, to Michigan, I had to go have surgery. And for months, I sat on a couch wondering, what am I going to do now? I don't even know if my job is going to be there when I finally get back. And God spoke to me while I had that quiet time. And so did Pastor Ben. I thought all those things that I've been working for and all those skills I've been acquired, it's just going to be all for fun now. But God used all those things 
and he rerouted it in a different direction. And today I'm doing something that I never, ever thought this guy would ever be doing. And those of you who know me, and I'm talking to some of you people online too, my old friends, are probably looking at this guy and saying, how did he ever end up there? It was only by God's grace because I couldn't do it on my own. I was going in a different direction. God used that moment where I like to say he pushed me off a mountain cliff to get my attention. You may be in that same situation or maybe you'll find yourself in that situation. Don't give up. Call on God. Be silent and listen to his voice and then obey. In this year to come, 2020, this significant year, there will be successes and there will be failures in your life. There will be things that you gain and there's going to be things that you will lose. There will be healthy reports and there will be doctor's reports to the contrary. There's things that we are going to learn and there are things that we will forget. There will be new fellowship, but along with that, there will come new conflict. There, are things, there will be things that we look forward to, and there will be some that we don't look forward to. There will be times of blessing, but most importantly, there will be times of testing. Really, cherish those times of testing. Our joy does not come from alcohol, Tylenol, or lowering our cholesterol. It doesn't come from General Motors, General Electric, or General Mills. It does not come from baseball, basketball, or football, from the grocery store, the gas station, or the shopping mall. It doesn't come from medical breakthroughs, world events, scientific discoveries. It does not come from your cell phone. It does not come from Google. It will not come from Siri. It won't come from your W-2, your 401k, or your 5013C. From your sparkling automobile, the sparkling jewels on your hand or around your neck, or how well you fit into that very expensive but wildly torn pair of jeans. It doesn't come or will not come from the accolades of your family, your coworkers, your friends, or your dog. It won't come from your status in the community, your status at your job, or your status in a church. It won't come from your political party, your religious affiliation, or your denomination. And it will not come from the results of the 2020 presidential election. Your joy will come, this lasting joy, simply from that joy that sets before us. And what really is that joy? 
In our denomination, we have this fundamental truth that we call the blessed hope. Many denominations believe it in a little different way, but it's this, that one day a trumpet will sound. And those who are dead, dead in Christ, who have long ago been buried, they will rise. And those of us who remain will be caught up in the air with our Lord Jesus. And there we shall remain forever. That is the joy set before us that can never be taken away. And we will live with that forever and ever. Now there's one stipulation to take part in that. Because as I read my Bible, I find that God actually keeps books. And there's one of them called the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is found in that Lamb's Book of Life, you will be among those who share in that eternal joy. But for those whose name is not found in that book, they will not partake in that joy. I'm asking and hoping today that if your name is not in that book, if you do not know that you are saved and of the redeemed and that you will go one day to be with our Lord, I'm asking that you today will confirm that and make sure that your name is in that book. And I guarantee that will make this truly a Christmas to remember. Bow your heads, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as always, you are here and you are among us. Wherever two are gathered or more are gathered together, you are there with us. And you are there personally with each believer. And God, when we come together corporately, there's, there's an enhancement of your presence, God. And we asked for it before this service even began, that you would make your presence known abundantly to us, God. I believe and I trust, God, that you spoke to every heart in this room. And now, God, I ask, that you change every life forever, including mine. In the name of your son, Jesus, I ask that. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.